Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to Three, a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. The 2023 U.S. Open Men's Singles draw is out. Novak Djokovic, the number two seed opposite Carlos Alcaraz. He looks to win his first U.S. Open since 2018. He comes fresh off of a win over Carlos Alcaraz in Cincinnati. And uh, we are very excited, as always, to get into his draw some of the other contenders, but I do want to start with the stat that, that I opened with, uh, which is the, the 2018 thing. Novak has won, I think seven, maybe eight majors since his last U S open. It's just been a, a rocky history, uh, particularly in the last five years. And I think we should, uh, we should try to kind of dissect why or, or what it means absent last year. Medvedev final in 2021 going for the Grand Slam, very depleted by by the time he arrived in the final. Uh, The fluke DQ in 2020 and retired against Vavrinka with a shoulder injury in 2019. I guess my question, I'll go to you, Joel. We know that Australian Open versus US Open, Novak has triple the titles at the Aussie than he does the US Open. But is he really three times as good in Australia or is there some coincidence at play here? Well, look, Australia, he arrives fresh. He's had, you can only imagine how rigorous he is in his off-season training methodology and he's fresh and he's there. And it's also the the happy slam having been to them all. It's very, it's very relaxing in Australia. You're, you're, this, the gap between the city and the tournament is minimal. I mean, it'd be like as if you played the US Open in Central Park. And so it's all cozy and comfortable and he has a lot of things down. And then of course, success builds success. Now you come to the U.S. Open at the end of a long year. All these recent ones we talked about, Novak was, he turned 31 in 2018. So this is all Novak in his 30s after a long, hard year. And these are some, also some strange, some strange occurrences too. An injury, a, a retirement, COVID, all these things, uh, the, the slam effort. So it's just, it's a tough time of year for him because he's put in so much throughout the year. We're being very kind of nitpicky. I mean, why has this guy only won three U.S. Opens? Um, I mean, imagine, you know, that standard applied to any other player. But there may be something with court speed. Who knows? Um, the U.S. Open hard courts are slower than the Australian hard courts. Um, and this year, I hear that they're... Uh, after maybe playing a little bit faster, they're back to playing slower. Um, don't know if that's true or not. We'll see. Uh, there may be something with that, but it also could just be a little bit of bad luck. Yeah, I, I think especially if you look at the the recent events, it, it seems like bad luck. Uh, I, I've always thought that th- there is some of that at play because I don't think it's really possible to be 10 titles good at Australian Open, three titles good at the US Open. I think that's too big a gap. Like you just have some, you have some funky business, some luck at play there. 
Well, yeah, Novak, young, good enough to reach the U.S. Open final, who's 20, play Roger Federer. Old and good enough at 34 to play Medvedev in twenty in the 2021 final. So reaching the finals 14 years apart, I mean, it just some of this speaks to the way these three have kind of reset, recalibrated the the bar. I mean, in American baseball, winning hitting 500 home runs is a big deal. So if for years there was a tennis equivalent hitting 500 home runs. These guys have all made it seem like, no, the bar is 650 home runs, 700 home runs. And it's like, wow, wow. So yeah, Novak, you're right. Three, so three of USO, he's won the US Open three times. Um, yeah, and he's been the favorite in a zillion of them, in a zillion of these Opens, as he, as he is one of the two favorites this year. Yeah, I think the age thing is a good point, though. Uh, think about Roger Federer. He wins five in a row in his prime athletically, you know, twenties doesn't win anymore after the, after the fiver streak, uh, which ended in 2009. So, so that's a, that's a good example right there. And we've seen, uh, your Dominic teams of the world, your Carlos Alcaraz's of the world, they have broken through at, at the U S open. So I think though, I want to talk about something about the U S open here. Yeah. It used to be in the days when the Australian open wasn't as significant even some years, even finishing the year from 78 to 85, but 77 to 85. But the Australian Open wasn't that big at the start of the year. Not as many players played it. Its significance wasn't as big. That was even true to some degree for the French, or more importantly, the clay guys were putting their time into the French. Now we're in, I'd say, the last 20, 25 years, the four slam era. So so in those in the prior era, the US Open was kind of like the big second one at the end of the year. Now it's the fourth one at the end of the year. So it's waiting. It's, and I think we're going to, when we look back at the last 10 or 15 years, we saw more, we see more one-offs at the U S open. Chilich, we've spoken about this before. Chilich, mm-hmm. Pocho, Stan Wawrinka. That used to not be the case. It used to be, if you won the U S open, you probably won a major somewhere else because it wasn't, a, it wasn't a tournament for one-offs for one slam guys. It was a tournament for, you know, champions across. And so, a lot changed. So if you look at the the weighting scale of the tournaments of the majors, the Australian, the French have become so much more significant. And so that adds to the, the player mileage. Yeah. It is interesting too, that Nadal stole a couple U S opens in the latter stages of his career. And, and again, that may have to do with court speed or favorable conditions for him. Um, it, it also has to do with just what a great, all court, all surface champion that he is. It's funny with court speed. It, it has changed quite a bit. I, I remember reading Rafa's book and he, in which I think it was published around, I want to say 2010 ish. So uh, honestly, it was very early for him to write a book. Yeah. He just <laughs> went for it. Uh, he was saying how quick the US Open is. It's the hardest. The ball just skids right through the court. But then come like 2017, I think through 2020, it was very slow. It became, it became almost approaching Indian Wells slow. And then, as as you alluded to, Amy, I think twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, it it has been quick these last two years. Let's see what happens this year. It's uh, mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes that's quite a wild card. Let's uh, let's talk about Novak's draw, Amy. What did you make of of Djokovic's draw? You know, I call him like I see him, right? Mm-hmm. I thought, and, and and Joel had a really great quote, which I stole um, 
for another podcast, but I'm pretty sure I attribute it to him. And that is that Novak will have an easy draw for the rest of his life just because look at the head-to-head Novak against pretty much everyone. Uh, That being said, uh, on balance, I think his draw is a little bit easier um, than Alcaraz's. And simply because Alcaraz has a potential versus Sinner in the quarterfinals, and that's uh, a tough matchup for him. That's a great thought, and um, I hope you attributed that to me, Amy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, 99%. You know, there's a great line, and I won't even say who said it. It says that amateurs borrow and professionals steal. So it's all good, <laughs> and that's okay. So the um, Novak and Carlos, you know, obviously that's a ways down the road, but that's a final that obviously, particularly in the wake of Cincinnati and Wimbledon, wow, what a great final that would be. The two key stats, should that happen, would be time on court, time finished on court. You know, who who has more matches that end past midnight and what's the physical toll, no matter who you are and how that works. And I suspect, okay, who who do you think has more night matches scheduled, Alcaraz or Novak? I'd say it's like a tie, no? Yeah. I'd say yeah. it might be a little more Carlos, maybe. But well, the, I think also also the teams can have some influence. And I'm I mean, wondering. So- I am actually curious. I just thought of this. I hadn't been thinking of it before. Based on what happened last year with Alcaraz, I do wonder if his team is going to ask for some some day. Or some first night. In other words, there's a lot of maneuvering around that about, okay, we'll, be, we'll play at night, but not, a, not, the second, not the second match at night each time or whatever. Anyway, it's just, that's just kind of interesting jockeying around that. And, there seem, and there's also some stuff that we've heard from the – WT and other terms. There's a lot, there's things going on around scheduling as matches get longer, as sessions occur, mm-hmm. as you know, the, the post 11 PMing of tennis, it's going to, it's going to hit more other yeah. stadiums, other court assignments, weather anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Getting back, getting back to Novak's draw though. It's a good point about the head to heads and how Djokovic's history and his level is going to make it so that we're more likely to look at a draw and say, well, this, this is in the back because the head to head, for example, against Tsitsipas is 11, two, and it's a 10 match, uh, win streak for Novak and against Fritz it's seven. Oh, and those are his top two seeds. Those are his most likely on paper quarterfinals. And it's like, okay, well that, that is amazing. That leads you to think that it's a great draw. At the same time, these are two top 10 players that have just been dominated by Novak. What does that tell you about Novak? Tells you how great he is. Yeah. How great he is. And it tells you how these guys have, um, they're still in a very early formative stage of their career that may be this highest stage of their career. They don't know. You know, it's like they should, those two guys are both kind of interesting to see is Tsitsipas had kind of like beginner's luck when he got him in Canada a few years ago. And, and then since then he's banged his head against this wall, including the Aussie final this year, Fritz has been making his way up, but these guys, let's hope they have a chance to play him more that they're in the contention more to play him more, but we don't know about that either. Well, Fritz just got destroyed by Novak and 
he Fritz had had a good match against him in Australia. Of course, Novak had that tear, but um, Fritz has not been playing well. I mean, it's it's actually kind of a lucky draw for Novak, and and that's okay because he deserves some luck. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't know why sometimes fans get insecure about that. I mean, it's a good thing you want you want your man to do well, so you should be hoping for a good draw. But I understand the dynamics around wanting to give the fullest credit at all times at the same time. I actually have Lorenzo Musetti as Djokovic's quarterfinal opponent. I I do not have Fritz okay. and and I I do not I do not have Tsitsipas as as Tsitsipas is going to go up against three bomber servers to open the tournament and I think that's a weakness of his on a quick court. Mm-hmm. So, I think Lorenzo finds his way through who beat Novak the last time they played in Monte Carlo. Can we buy that's that? really that's really good analysis, Gil. Um, I, I mean, I saw CT Pass's opening round match, and and that might be an upset special. And you think his backhand will get some some bombs served at it? I mean, it, he's oh, either going to come through, and he's either going to CT Pass is either going to come through, and that tool will have been sharpened, or he's not going to make it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, and Milos Raonic played some good tennis earlier this month in his comeback, played a great match against TFO. And uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I think Novak, we look at intangibles like weather and duration of matches and no early set drops. So he doesn't have to then play a fourth set. Not, not that he's rickety. I mean, look, he just proved he just played a fantastic nearly four hour match in Cincinnati, but I think he wants to kind of, a lot of his game is built around energy, energy conservation. It always has been. Well, until Wimbledon, there had actually been a lot of injuries in his season, and he had been kind of winning in spite of them. Right. So I, I don't think it's wrong to to think about limiting the time on court as, as an asset, given that. But I, I think he's in great position to do that. I don't know that much about Alexander Muller, who is his first-round opponent. Uh, Zapata Marias, more than likely his second-round uh, opponent who is uh, uh, a very good grinder, but uh, I don't, I don't think he scares Novak's with with any kind of weapons whatsoever. Uh, and then Laszlo Gera in the in the third round, they've actually had some battles in the past. Uh, they know each other extraordinarily well. That would be Serb versus Serb. And uh, I have Mackie McDonald in the in the fourth round, but the seed the seeds here would be FAA or Francisco Serendolo. I just think and, it's it's very and, and FAA is not in form and Sarundalo is an excellent player, but you know, a slower court speed would definitely help him, but this isn't yeah. necessarily his surface. But these are the players who can like these are fine, fine, great world class players, but they're not like it's not like Hashanov or an informed Zverev, or you know, these players who can really push Novak more. Can really and, push Novak more who are on, they're not in that section those are the guys who can you know big serves big big ground strokes 
And I think one of the big things with the draw is Zverevin in particular, because he's the number 12 seed. And at this point, that's just an underseeding based on how, how the year mm-hmm. went with his injury. So I feel like a lot of the, the luck of the draw was going to be somewhat about where he landed. And I mean, I think Yannick Sinner is, is the real victim here. Sinner's Zverev is a potential fourth round. I, I do think there was some misrepresentations of Alcaraz's draw, because when you say, oh my God, he has Zverev and Sinner, it's like, no, he has one or the other. Right. Uh, Sinner might have Zverev and Alcaraz, or Zverev might have Sinner and Alcaraz. Uh, so I, I actually think that Carlitos's draw, while it's tougher than Novak's, there was some overinflation online about how bad it really was. Well, that's, that's a good why, point. That's why, I don't, that's why I don't talk to people online about evaluation. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, overinflation by like who the, the analyst at Merrill Lynch. I mean, you know, it's like whatever. But yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, a lot of a lot of prominent people in the sport, Joel, no, no anonymous. It's just when you list like who's in his quarter, it it does look quite scary. Yeah, but when you read the draw, this is the whole thing about this whole exactly. draw casting, and there might Gil, since I'm in my car and I don't have my draw in front of me, um, who is near Carlitos? Who well, could he face? Sure. Early. Or how early? Like third round, like first seed. His first seed would be Dan Evans. Although I think Jordan Thompson has a chance to be there in round three instead of Evans. Uh, his fourth round would be Nori or Griegspor. That that's pretty nice for for Alcaraz, I would say. Um, in fact. Yeah, I, I think that could go a lot of different ways. It's really the quarterfinal round where that bottom eighth in, in that quarter, that's really, really strong. You have Zverev, Sinner, Dimitrov, uh, Echeverry. You have Stan Wawrinka. You have Lorenzo Sinego. I think that you have Vukic. I think that is really strong right over there. But that doesn't concern Alcaraz until the quarterfinal. Well, in this case, Jordan Thompson, sorry, Joel, Jordan Thompson did take a set off of him recently. That was a good match. I, as I recall, I didn't see the whole match, but I saw the highlights. He served and volleyed against him quite a bit. So yeah, that's pesky. Um, But yeah, you're, you're right. Like he can't face all the great players in a quarter. That's exactly. You just echoed my point. Exactly. And he's like, he, he, right. So, so, so people are reading a draw that way. Don't know how to read a draw. (laughs) the straw is loaded no great they're gonna good let those guys all all knock each other before the quarters that's why this draw that's why this draw casting stuff like i mean it's just it's engaging in a way and then it's just kind of silly because for example two of these guys might get injured before the draw before the tournament even starts and now there's a lucky loser and now somebody serves 50 aces and now this guy's hot and now he beats the seed and he fills the seed's place and you know all these tumbling things occur that make it. It's like a the you know. But but um, Alcaraz also his his journey besides some of these players in his section like Sinner and Sasha. His journey is going to be more fraught than Novak's because he's coming back to win a title. He's twenty years old. He's coming back to win a title. He won as as a teenager. It's it's all it's all fresh and new. And that's kind of a whole thing where Novak is so experience that doesn't mean Novak is odds on to beat him when they get in the finals it just means there's going to be a lot more factors on 
on Carlos. That's why I asked the questions. Like, I think he's going to get more night assignments. We want to put you on at night. I get Novak that second afternoon. That's okay. That's you all think right. the Wimbledon, Joel? Do you think the Wimbledon final or the Wimbledon title, I should say, helps Alcaraz mentally as he comes into the U.S. Open when it comes to defending the title? Because I feel like if he were on one major and he was now defending that title, there would be a little bit more on his shoulders. Because he only has, right, because, well, okay, I lost the U.S. Open. I still got the Wimbledon. Absolutely, it helped because, and, and we know, we know this, the second slam is harder to win than the third slam. The second slam is harder, is more, is a more important validation than the, than the, um, than the third slam. The third slam, it's like, wow, now I'm really in the cloth. But the second <laughs> slam, it's like, okay, got it. This is pretty good. I wasn't a one slam dude. So look at, and he's already gotten them. I mean, there are very few people who've won two slams by 20 and even fewer who've won two different slams by the time they're 20. That's pretty neat. So yeah, I think it's so much. I think he feels this guy, this guy takes in pressure as he's supposed to and lets it sit as it should more than even the three did more than even our three guys, Roger and Rafa Novak did. They had more. Go on. If I'm Carlitos, I'm playing very free right now because I know that the end is coming for Novak and I've already beaten him on a couple of occasions. So worst case scenario, I just wait this guy out. And in a couple of years, I start cleaning up on everything. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but with the talent he has at his age, things are looking pretty good. But on the flip side, um, to counter my own argument, I was really surprised to see Alcaraz really break down in tears after losing to Novak in Cincinnati. It meant a lot to him. And he, I can start to see the pressure bubbling up for him. So um, I'm not sure how he'll play or how he'll handle the pressure of defending the title. I think he should play. I think the way this guy's learned to play, he, he should play free. All he doesn't have to outweigh Novak. He doesn't just outplay him. He's proven that he's proven that he can outplay the guy. And then it shows something about Novak. He's like, gee, I thought I thought these guys, Roger and, and Rafa retired. Can I can I have this thrown for a little bit? And now I got this other guy. I mean, it's like Novak, Novak, he, he, where, where's my Nishikori? Where's my Nishikori? Where are my <laughs> Where are my uh, Mark Philippoussis? Where are my guy? Where are these guys? I mean, Tsitsipas has kind of been like that too, like a near contender. Now I got a, a bona fide guy who beat him in a Wimbledon final. Boy, Novak had a had a small window, and he he missed a couple of majors during that window because of because of COVID uh, and because of vaccine stuff. Uh, but and then there was no Wimbledon in 2020. But I would say you're right, Joel. Uh, that I was talking about it on a mailbag recently. There was a slight window where it's you look at the major finals and there's there's Tsitsipas twice and there's Medvedev, but yeah, now it's now a lot of the times it's likely to be to be Alcaraz from here on out. Uh, can we um, talk about everybody else though? Like you have Djokovic, Alcaraz, Tier One, on opposite sides of the draw. Who? What's the next group? How large is the next group? And and how close are they, Amy? Small, non-existent. <laughs> um, uh, only because okay, Sinner is legit. You know, he's he's a level down, but um, I'm not. 
I'm not sure that Sinner has like the killer mentality just based on some of the quotes. Uh, and this is really like me being the the psychiatrist or whatever, which is bad. But it's interesting that Sinner has said things like, it's okay to lose as long as you lose in the right way. And that may be true, but it just, it's not a champion's mentality, I don't sense. Or he had made a comment about how Federer seemed to have this wonderful work-life balance. But as someone pointed out, it might have been Lubacich or somebody like that, that Federer didn't have that early on. He only got, he only attained that balance later after he had won a dozen championships, majors. Um, so I'm not sure about Sinner, but he would be my next. Um, Runa, apparently, who would be possibly in that group because he has beaten Novak. Runa apparently is suffering from a pretty significant back injury. Tsitsipas is having his summer of love. You know, he's he's just not consistent right now. Um, you know, I, I picked to go to the final four, Tommy Paul, because I like the way he's playing right now, but I'm I'm taking a bit of a flyer on him. I picked him too. Me too. Oh. Me oh, too. wow. Well, and and yep. uh, viewers, viewers, we did not discuss this. It's we did not. Let's see. I think as far as the contenders, I think these guys have to considerable refinement. I'm still holding because um, I'm still holding some hope for Zverev on the recovery and get in the mix front. But obviously, none of these guys have accomplished as much as Carlos. However, they can do some of Novak's work for him if they, if they can deplete Carlos in the way that some people used to do that to Novak. I remember the year Murray won Wimbledon. Novak had a very rough five-set semi with Del Potro. So... So that aided, I think, Murray's cause. But I think these other guys, yeah, I think all the ones that have been mentioned, they haven't had enough results yet. Runa, we hold hope for, but now he's got an injury. So that's so for this year, it's not quite clear. But in the time to come, we're just going to have to see. I mean, I think what you're, you're opining that perhaps Sinner was making kind of like extrication quotes, like, see, maybe I don't want that. But, but though, to me, reminds me of something during some of those years when Federer went a few years without winning a major, someone would say to me, well, Federer said so-and-so. Yeah, he said it. I mean, I think words just fly out the window with athletes. That's why That's I cover not politics. You know, it's like Sinner. So, but, but we're going to see more like with Sinner. Like it was a little bit, I was a little bit, uh, even though it seems so obvious these days. So Sinner wins, wins a master's thousand and he loses his opening next match. It's like, gee, golly that's how it that's how it kind of goes sometimes it's not oh i mean when everyone who wins canada has been doing that but the thing is the players who have been winning canada have been not regular masters 1000 champions they you know this didn't happen to big three when they won canada uh but but it's been happening a lot the the center thing in terms of complacency um or I, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but you know, being being content with with where you're at, uh, it's something I I do look for in players, and I think it's a big deal who has it, who doesn't. One one thing that would be points in his corner is how how he's been with his team. Uh, like he he fired Piotti, his like childhood coach, after he lost to Titipas at at the Australian open. Cause he was just like, this is unacceptable. I need to do better. Uh, so I think that's a good sign. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, uh, by the way, Daniil Medvedev's name should be should be mentioned. He's my number three, not center, but it's very close between them. Uh, obviously, the 2021 champion uh, hasn't had a very convincing summer. I, I do think there are some bad matchups for him in the draw, people who come to net a lot. But uh, if he starts to play his best on a hard court, we know that that's uh, close to close to a tier one level. Oh, he's great. He's but Alcaraz has kind of authored the book for all on Medvedev, and he's executed at the best level because he's so good. See, here's how you make bad math for this guy. Look at me, kick serves, volley. I mean, Alcaraz has just kind of obliterated Medvedev this year, and then it's shown a lot of people, and that's probably sent a a jolt to Medvedev. I mean, that's that's just kind of interesting. At I think at that very high level, you know, that your your aura, your sense of it, and then someone you're like the you're like the young thing. Medvedev isn't that old. And here comes this Carlos who's just kind of like, you know, obliterating you, like he did in Indian Wells and Wimbledon. So, but Medvedev, yeah, he's great. And again, draws someone else doing the knockout work for you, right? The whole, his, that's the fun about draws that someone else does the work. Let let the guy hit, let this other guy sort of 60 aces and beat this guy. Now I can play him. Let- Medvedev has had a subpar run up. Uh, especially for his favorite surfaces. Mm-hmm. and But I, I also think that that can't last for long. So I have picked him to do well. And I'm always interested to see if Medvedev is interested in improving his game, uh, tweaking that return position, trying different things, and of course, approaching the net and see what he's doing there. Did I believe though we have uh, Tommy Paul was in the same quarter as Medvedev, or am I did I miss something? No, no. Paul Paul is with Rude and Runa. So we picked Paul to emerge. We all three independently picked Paul to emerge from that quarter. Which, right? by yeah. the way, it makes me makes me very nervous because you know these trendy picks that you you kind of feel like they're they're bold, but I feel like people who are locked in are kind of thinking the same way. I just have a bad feeling about those. Those those never happen. You know, it's funny, and you know, guys know how I feel about picks. So last year, I was doing picks for tennis.com, and as you know, I tend to pretty much play it. I kind of play it down the middle when I make picks. I said, you know, convention would favor, in fact, say you're Medvedev, but you know, I'm gonna say it's gonna be Taylor Fritz is gonna win the US Open this year. That was last year, and he lost in the first round. That's is this a pick? Whatever, it's okay. I had Fritz in the semis last year. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it's very, very worrisome. We didn't speak. Wait, what did you have, Amy? Did you have Fritz in the finals? Do you remember? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Um, I think I did pretty well. I, the the thing. Well, actually, I'm not going to tell you guys my technique, <laughs> but I, I do have kind of. Well, I'm not going to tell you how I pick these things because, I, as you know, I don't like it. I don't enjoy doing it. I don't like to be wrong. Um, but I do what you're saying, Gil, like you never know when to take the flyer or when to pick the trendy pick. I, I do have a certain mentality. And um, a lot of it, I will tell you this, a lot of it revolves around um, – you don't overthink, you know, like I picked Novak to win the tournament, not overthinking. I picked Alcaraz to make the final. I, it's not a, it's not a, a super out there pick. I'm not going out on a limb, but these guys have clearly established that they're the two best in the world right now. 
Oh no, I think anyone would say that they you you would do the classic thing and say take those two and then take the field if you're doing it that way. But that whole world, it's like I just the this stuff. I'm not really I'm not learning anything. That's the thing I have with this stuff. That's kind of yeah. I think understanding why and how is kind of interesting. And when we give the nuanced look at these contenders and their games and how they're playing, like that that sinner would then win Canada and then right away lose in Cincinnati. Did he make those comments after the loss in Cincinnati? Um. One of the comments about, you know, work-life balance, that's, you know, 9, 10, 11 months old. The The other comment is more recent. Um, but one thing I wanted to say about picks is I want our viewers and fans to understand that these are human beings, okay? Medvedev, for example, is a new dad. There's geopolitics involving his country there may be something going on in his life that we as outsiders because that's what we really are we have no idea about and and you have to remember that these are human beings so if the draws don't play out the way you thought or why didn't this person play the way that he always played you do have to remember that these are humans well that's right that's why when it comes that's like a yeah, I don't want to always treat athletes like they're commodities. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The the best sports bettors in the world are right about 55% of the time. If you do research on on that that game and how it's played, that that's what that's what you'll find. 55% is an incredible percentage that the best of the best can achieve. Uh let's bring it back to Novak. Cincinnati was such a just a such a sharp display of tennis. Uh, every match was easy until the Alcaraz match, and then he suffered a heat stroke in the for a set and a half and still won. But is there something about his game uh, that that you'll be keeping an eye on in the first three rounds? Is there something to watch an X factor where you'll be taking note? Okay, where's Novak at here? I'll be watching for time on court and efficiency and what he's doing with his second serve. Yeah, I was thinking of serves. So I'm thinking, it's funny, you said second serve. I thought first serves in, lots of first serves in, and um, and then maybe a, a tab on uh, coming to net, the investment play. Yeah, I think for me, you know, first serve forehand, just how how much is that first strike stuff firing? I think... When it comes down to it, that's going to get it done against Alcaraz. You need you need a lot of really good spot serves and great forehands behind it. So that's what I'll be uh, looking for. And uh, we will all be in New York, which means probably no show until the semis when, when I get back. I know that I probably won't be able to, to do a show. Um, so, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot built up. We will, as always, watch and uh, take mental notes about everything we can talk about when we, uh, when we get back together next, right? That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.